0: Hello and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. We'd like to welcome you again, especially if you've been one of our faithful listeners. If you are new, uh, we hope you enjoyed our podcast. And we want to encourage you to constantly study your Bible. Because this podcast is all about Bible study and how it relates to the biblical covenant. So, do you have your Bibles ready? Are you ready to get into your studies this evening? Well, I'm about to turn it over to my host. All right, thank you very much. We want to continue in
1: the uh, circulatory system of the blood. <clears throat> in our last studies, we were covering how the blood was made an application in the courtyard of the sanctuary and we dealt with the altar of burnt offerings and how the blood was put on the horns and then some of it was poured on the ground. Now. This fourth uh, phase is called the application phase in the sanctuary so we want to go from the court into the sanctuary and see how the blood was applied in the sanctuary on the day of atonement. Most of what we've been talking about has a lot to do with the day of atonement. So the fourth the applicational phase in the sanctuary and this, in in phase four, the blood is applied inside the sanctuary tabernacle, and we want to get a springboard text that we can go into our subject. We have a few texts we want to look at, and then we'll go into some of the explanations of those particular texts. And I want to go back to Leviticus chapter four and want to look at a few verses there. Leviticus chapter four, and we want to read verses. 5 and 6 and also 17 and here it says in verse 5 of the fourth chapter of Leviticus and it reads and the priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of the blood seven times before Yehoah before the veil of the sanctuary. And verse 17 says, And the priest shall dip his finger in some of the blood and sprinkle it seven times before Yehoah, even before the veil. So what we see thus far here, he's telling him to sprinkle uh, this blood seven times before the veil. So let's uh, turn to Exodus and get a... Another glimpse of the sanctuary, and that's Exodus. And we want to look at <clears throat> chapter 30. In Exodus 30, uh, and we want to look at verses 7 and 10. So in Exodus chapter 30, verse 7 reads, And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning, When he dresses the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And then verse 10 reads, And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto Jehovah. Okay, so this is talking about the altar of incense and where the prayers will often go up. He was saying on the Day of Atonement, Aaron would go on that one time a year on the Day of Atonement, and he would put blood on the horns of the golden altar on the inside of the sanctuary. So we want to look a little bit further and go into Leviticus 16. And in Leviticus 16, we want to look at a couple of verses there. So here in Leviticus 16, we want to look at verses 14 and 15. And here it says in verse 14 of the 16th chapter of Leviticus. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times, then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Now in these texts, they point out three places In the sanctuary tabernacle where the blood of the sacrifice was applied, these places were the veil, the golden altar of incense, which is the lid on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which had two cherubims in two ends of the lid. It is this Hebrew word lid that we call the mercy seat. And when the priests made an application of the blood in these areas, they carried a certain significance. Let us look at these three areas of which the blood was sprinkled or touched. We'll start our blood application with the veil. Then we'll move to the golden altar of incense and conclude with the golden ark of the covenant. Okay, so we want to look at uh the significance of the blood and the veil now the blood that was sprinkled before the veil which separated the holy from the most holy apartment of the tabernacle was done every day including on the day of atonement therefore we conclude therefore therefore we could draw the conclusion that Quite a bit of blood had accumulated on the veil, because every day when they confessed their sins, they were sprinkle the blood before the veil, and by the time the day of atonement would come, it would be quite a collection of blood by the veil, and they would have to cleanse it. And so, when you talk about the day of atonement, you talk about the day of covering, the day of doing away with sins, the day of cleansing uh, the sins of the people, which means cleaning out the blood out of the sanctuary so that these sins can be done away with. Now, Elo- Elohim's year has 360 days. This would mean that 60 days were allocated for the forgiveness of sin, and only once a year was the sinful blood sprinkled, and it was to be cleansed from the sanctuary. So that only happened once a day, once a year, which was the day of atonement. But all of the rest of the days, the sins were, were accumulating. And on this particular day, they would uh, look forward to cleansing the sanctuary of those particular sins, which is recorded in the sinful blood. Now in type, the blood of the sacrifice represented the life. However, the blood from the standpoint of the repentant represent a sinful life, and the blood from the animal sacrifice represented a righteous life. Therefore, when we think in terms of the blood being sprinkled before the veil in the sanctuary, we must think in terms of a sinful life being sprinkled before the veil in the sanctuary. So when we see the blood, the blood represents life, and the life is represented either by a sinful life or by a righteous life. However, in the antitypical fulfillment of the blood being sprinkled, it leads us to Yeshua's blood. His blood was exchanged for our blood, which would mean that because blood symbolizes life, his life of righteousness was exchanged for our life of sinfulness. Therefore, when Yeshua, who has taken our life of sin, goes back to heaven to apply the sinful blood, which he has gotten from sinners, how does he apply it to the heavenly veil? In order to understand this application of the sinful blood to the heavenly sanctuary's veil, we must first get an understanding of the veil in the earthly sanctuary. So let us get a brief understanding of the significance of the veil in the earthly sanctuary tabernacle. And we want to turn to Exodus chapter 26. And in Exodus chapter 26, we want to use uh, a few verses there. So we have Exodus 26, and we want to start at verse 31. I want to get an understanding of this veil that uh, we are dealing with. In verse 31 of the 26th chapter of Exodus, it says... And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twain linen of cunning work with cherubims, shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillows of shittim wood overlaid with gold. The hooks shall be of gold upon four sockets of silver. Okay, so there it is describing the the veil and how it is to be made. And then there's a paralleling passage uh, in the book of Exodus as well. And that's Exodus chapter 36. And we want to read verses 35 and 36. Okay. Leviticus, not Leviticus, but Exodus chapter 36 and verses 35 and 36 says, And he made a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen with cherubim made he it of cunning work. And he made there unto four pillows of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold. Their hooks were of gold and he cast for them four sockets of silver. So when we look at the veil when we consider the veil, which was in the earthly tabernacle, there were at least three things we are given concerning it. We are given the types of cloths, the hues and design of the veil. So when we look at the cloth, the colors, and the construction of the veil, when we consider the types of cloth to be used in making the veil, each of them was of a certain color. The respective colors were blue, purple, scarlet, and white, which was the fine twine linen. These four colors cloths were to be cut were to be cunningly put together, and they were to have figurines of angels on it by Taking golden threads sewn into the fabric in the shape of angelical beans. This veil was to be supported by four pillars made of acacia or shittim wood overlaid with gold with their hooks of the same. The four golden pillars would be held in place by four sockets of silver. Now, what is significant about the veil is that it spells out the plan of salvation. Let us see how that is so, okay. Now, one of the first colors that we have in dealing uh, with the veil was the color blue. So we wanna turn to the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, we want to look at chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15, and we want to consider uh, verse verses 37 through 40, okay? We're dealing with the blue, the blue cloth. Now, in Numbers thirty uh, chapter 15, starting with verse 37, it says, And Yah spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes, in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue, and it shall be unto you for a friend that ye may look upon it and remember all the commandments of Yah and do them, and that ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes. After which ye used to go a whoring, that ye may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto Yehoah. Okay, so here we are told that Moses was instructed to tell the children of Israel to put a blue, a ribbon of blue upon the fringes of their garments. This blue ribbon, was to symbolize the commandments of Yah. And when they looked upon the blue ribbon, it was to remind them of his commandments. Moreover, the table of stones of which Moses received the Ten Commandments was, was sapphire in color. Blue represents the commandments. And then the other color that they had for the veil was purple. Now, when we turn to the book of Judges, let us turn to Judges. And in the book of Judges, we want to look at chapter 8, Judges chapter 8. And here in, in this 8th chapter of Judges, we want to look at verse <clears throat> number 28. Judges chapter 8 and verse 28. And here it reads, it said, Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more. Let me see. That all right, let me see that I said uh that's Judges. Okay, Judges, I think it's eight. All right, let me see. All right. No, I think that's I think we want another another text. Let me see. We, we do want judges, but we want a, a, a different text. Okay. All right. We want to go up to verse 26. I think I had 28. We want verse 26. Judges 8, 26. And here it reads. It says, And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, besides ornaments and colors and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian. So, in other words, what he's pointing out here is that <clears throat> usually kings, especially the kings of Midian, they wore purple. So, when we deal with the color purple, here it points out that the kings wore that. Particular raiment of purple, so we see, in essence, that purple represents royalty. Royalty, all right. Now, the other other color that we had, in addition to the blue, and the purple, we had the scarlet color. Okay, let us turn to Isaiah, chapter one, and understand what scarlet is represented. And here it says in Isaiah one. And verse 18, it says, come now and let us reason together, saith Yehoah, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So we see in this particular text that uh, scarlet represents sin, a sinful life. Okay, let us turn to the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1. And in Revelation chapter 1, we want to look at a a text there. And then we have another text in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1 in verse 5, it says, And John, and from Yeshua Messiah, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Okay. So blood is represented by the scarlet, And it said he washed us in his own, in his own blood. And it further reads uh, in the, Levitic- in the revelation in revelation, chapter seven and verse 15, it says, therefore are they before the throne of Elohim and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Okay. There. Oh, let me see. Okay, this is more of a sanctuary. That's, that may not quite be the text that I want, but the one in five talks about his blood, but this gives us some more sanctuary imagery before the throne, and we know it is throne was in the throne room and he had the Ark of the Covenant. But what we're looking at is that the blue represents the law, purple represents royalty, and that according to Isaiah one eighteen and Revelation 1.5, the scarlet represents the blood or the sinful life. Okay, now we also have what we call the fine twine linen. Now, When we look at the fine twine linen, the linen was white. And what did that represent? Okay, when we turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 19, and we look at verse number 8, Revelation 19, 8 says, and to her, talking about his church, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. So when we accept the life of Yeshua, his life of righteousness is given to us and that righteousness become the righteousness of the saints. So the veil made of many uh, colors was represented by the blue, the purple, the scarlet and the white. So this veil made up of multicolors was held up by four pillows made of our arcasic our wood. And the Bible calls this arcasic wood, shittim wood. And it was overlaid with gold. And then it had their hooks of gold. It had, it had their hooks. Uh, and their sockets of silver so when we consider the metals and the wood used to support the veil we are given some more factors to decode in order to get a proper understanding of what we are dealing with when we deal with the veil okay now we read in our opening scriptures about the pillars so let's see what the pillars of the gold sockets of silver stand for. Let us look at these various materials as we did for the cloths. We are told that the pillows were made of acasic wood and overlaid with gold and supported by the hooks and the sockets of silver. So here we have three types of materials. Arcasic wood, we have gold and silver. So let us decode each of them. Now, when we have wood, what does wood represent? Okay. So we turn to the book of Psalms, the first division of the Psalms. In the Psalms, division one, and we look at verse 3, Psalms. Division 1 and verse 3, it says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. In other words, if you read the Psalm, is liken his people to a tree. And a tree is where we get wood from. And so... In many instances, the tree represents uh, a human, a living being, okay? And then we turn into Matthew chapter 3, and we look at verse 10, and it says, Now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So in other words, he is saying that humans like trees uh, being personified here. And he said the ax is laid to the tree. In other words, to the individual. But what we're looking at, it represents uh, humans. And so when we look at the sanctuary as it represents a human, uh, trees gives us the wood, therefore the archaic wood, would represent humans or mankind. But even further, we know that uh, things in the sanctuary pointed to Yehoah, and as they pointed to him, then he is the man or the human, in which is personified by the Akasic wood. Now, it also says that this wood that made up the pillar was overlaid with gold. Okay, let us go to Zechariah. Let us go to the book of Zechariah. And in the book of Zechariah, what we want to do is look at uh, Zechariah chapter 4. Okay, here in Zechariah chapter 4, I want to read a few verses. We're going to start with verse 2 in Zechariah. Here it says in Zechariah chapter 4, starting with verse 2. And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereof, and seven pipes of the seven lamps, which are up on the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof, so I answered and spake to the angel and talk, that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knoweth not, knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of Jehoah. Unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith Yehoah of hosts. And in the same chapter, we read in verse 11 and following, it says, Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the lampstand and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, what be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the, the, the golden oil out of themselves. And he answered me and said, knoweth not, knowest thou not what these be. And I said, no, my Lord. Then said he, these are the two anointed ones that stand by Yehoah of the whole earth. Okay, so what we are basically looking at is that when you get into the heavenly sanctuary, just like in the earthly sanctuary, most of the furniture in there was made of gold. Matter of fact, they even had golden walls. So in actuality, what we are reading is that gold represents divinity, it represents divinity. Divinity is surrounded by many golden objects. And when we get into the heavenly sanctuary, all of the objects in the sanctuary and the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the, uh, the seven branch menorah, the Ark of the covenant, they were all gold. So gold represents divinity. Okay. All right. Now let us find out to some degree. he, says that the gold was overlaid on the wood. So when you take wood representing humanity and gold represents the divinity, then what you got is Elohim's son, which was both divine and human. And so the pillar represents Yeshua holding up uh, the veil. Okay. But now, in order for the veil to be held up, you also had to have the silver hooks and the silver sockets. So let us deal somewhere with silver and see what silver is about. Let us turn to Genesis. And in Genesis 1, look at chapter 37, I believe. Genesis 37. And we want to look at verse... Number 28. Okay. Here the Bible says Then there passed by the Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Okay. Now let us turn to Matthew chapter 27, and we want to look at verse number 9. Matthew 27, 9 says, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah, the prophets saying, And they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. Okay, so when we look at Genesis thirty-seven twenty-eight, dealing with Joseph, and Matthew's twenty-seven nine, dealing with Yeshua, uh, silver, repre- silver represents support of some kind. So when we have silver, it's it's given support, just like the hooks kind of supported the veil, and also we have the sockets that supported the veil. So when we deal with the hooks and the sockets being made of silver, what we're talking about is basically uh, something that supports the veil. Now, let us consider the pillows with their hooks and sockets. A pillow was used to for support. The hooks was used for support and the sockets was used for support. So what we are basically dealing with is the pillows, hooks, and the sockets were to be used to support the veil. As we pointed out, the pillows were made of both wood and gold respectively, the human and the divine. Therefore, when we translate this scenario to the heavenly sanctuary, tabernacle, we would have the following. The wood and the gold would represent human and divine which would be the person of Yeshua, our Messiah. What what were the golden pillars holding up? They were holding up the multicolored veil, which separated the holy from the most holy place of the earthly tabernacle sanctuary. So how would this play out in the heavenly sanctuary tabernacle? since the wood and the gold making of the pillar in the earthly sanctuary represented Yeshua, the human and the divine person, it would only be logical that he would be holding up the veil. So if he were holding up the veil, then what was the significance of this in the heavenly sanctuary? We stated that the veil was made up of four types of cloth of which they distinguished themselves by their colors. Thus, we would have the following The blue cloth represented the law of Yah, the purple cloth represented the royalty of Yeshua, the scarlet represented the blood of Yeshua, and the white twain linen represented the righteousness. Therefore, Yeshua in the heavenly sanctuary is holding up Yah's law, his royalty as our king, his righteousness, which he has given to his saints. Remember that it was the silver hooks and the silver sockets which held up the veil in order for Yeshua to die for us and give his righteous life, he needed some silver to uphold it. It was Judas who that with the chief priest for 30 pieces of silver to put Yeshua on the cross. So now when we turn, we return in Matthew chapter 26, and here in Matthew chapter 26, we are told in uh, verse 15, Matthew's 26, 15 tells us this. Here it reads, and said unto them, talking about Judas, well, let's back up to verse 14. It said, then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went Unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they coveted it with him for 30 pieces of silver. Okay. And then when you read in Matthew 27, verse 3, it says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders in verse nine tells us this was fulfilled. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah, the prophet said, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued whom they of the children of Israel did value. So what we are seeing here is that the silver that made up the sockets and the hooks were to hold up the veil, which was the law, his royalty, his blood, and also his righteousness was have to be held up by the silver sockets and the silver hooks, which silver was supplied by Judas when he betrayed Yehoah, son and when he betrayed him that was the silver needed to get the crucifixion on the way for if he was not betrayed and the silver was not there then he could not have held up the righteousness okay so now when we look at that righteousness of or the veil that was being held up what was that veil let us turn to hebrews chapter 10. in hebrews chapter 10 we look at verse number 20 it says It says, Hebrews uh, chapter 10 and verse 20, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. So that veil represented Yeshua's flesh, okay? And so that was the veil. And through that flesh, he was holding up his law. He was holding up his royalty. He was holding up his blood or his life and he was holding up the white linen which was his righteousness so that silver that the silver needed for the hooks and the socket was the 30 pieces given to judas by the chief priest by judas selling out yeshua for 30 pieces he provided the hooks and the sockets to support the divine human messiah yeshua on the cross when we consider the blood that was sprinkled upon the veil it could be seen in the following manner the blood represented the life of sin of which yeshua received from our sins and gave us his righteous blood so the sinful blood is a record of our sins which were put upon yeshua and on the Day of Atonement, all of the sins which had been accumulated was to be removed. And this removal of sins is what Daniel 18.14 refers to as the cleansing of the sanctuary. While the earthly sanctuary was in existence, they did this once a year to clean the sanctuary. However, we are told in the book of uh, book of Hebrews in chapter nine, notice what it says in nine. And we're going to look at a couple of verses there. It says in the verse seven of Hebrews nine, seven, it says, now remember uh, they were doing this only once a year, but when the new covenant came in, he says in verse seven of the ninth chapter of, of Hebrews, but unto the second went, The high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Okay, so they did that once a year. And then in verse 12, it says, of the ninth chapter of Hebrews, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Okay, so he said he entered in that once. So when Yeshua deals with this, he deals with it in antitype in a different way. He doesn't do it every year, but he's going to get rid of all of the sins, but not just that once a year. So while in the earthly tabernacle, this was done once a year, however, in the heavenly sanctuary, Yeshua atoned for us once. And having done so at the end of the judgment, All of our sins will be placed upon Azazel, who is Satan, to be sent into the wilderness. Now, we go back to Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter 16. And we want to look at uh, verses... Leviticus 16 and verses... 29 and 30 and here it says and this shall be a statue forever unto you that in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month ye shall afflict your souls and do no work at all whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you for on that day shall the priests make an atonement for you to cleanse you that ye may be clean from all your sins before your It shall be a Shabbat of rest unto you and ye shall afflict your souls by a statue forever. So this is letting us know the day of atonement was the seventh day of was the 10th day of the seventh month. And even if you was a stranger, you entered into this service And they call it a cleansing. Verse 30 says, for on that day, the priest shall make an atonement for you to cleanse you that ye may be clean from all your sins before Yehoah. So in other words, 359 days a year, you confess your sins. But on the day of atonement, you not only confess those sins, but you were cleansed of all of those sins. And when you were cleansed of all of those sins, then you had made the atonement that all of your sins were forgiven. So the sprinkling blood is a record of our sinful life and our sins are kept in a book. Now we want to turn to the book of revelation in the book of revelation, chapter 20. And we'll look at verse number 12. It it, it brings out something about our sins here. The Bible says, in Revelation 20, verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before Elohim, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, what I want us to see is that it talks about two sets of books here. It talks about the book of life, And then it talks about the books. Now, if you notice when it says books, it has an S. But when it's talking about the book of life, it's only one book. Okay. Now, each one of us have a book. And in that book are our sins. So that blood that he sprinkled before the veil uh, was an indication of the record of our sins. And so the blood represents life, life is represented by what lifestyle we live, whether it's righteous or sinful, okay? So if our names have a book, then that book contains all of our life, which is our blood, which our blood is our lifestyle. So what type of lifestyle are we living? So if we read in the books that our lifestyle is not correct, then, this means that our names will not be in the book of life. But if our names have been covered with the blood of Yeshua, then our names will be in the book of life. So when we read in Revelations 20 and also verse 15, it says, it said, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So so what we are seeing basically here is that uh, the blood is a re- record of our sins, and our sins are recorded in a book. And when we look in the book, if our sins has been atoned for, we will be in a book of life. But if our names has not been atoned for, he says, then we'll be cast into the lake of fire. So the sprinkled blood is a record of our sinful life, and our sins are kept in a book, according to Revelation 20, 12. Blood is a symbol of life and life is determined by a sinfulness or righteousness. We have the book of life and other books and the other books is that each one of us have a have a have a book. Okay. now let us go back to Exodus chapter 26. So in Exodus chapter 26, we want to look at uh, verse 31. Notice what it says. He said, and thou shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of cunning work with cherubim shall it be made. Okay, now what we want to look at now is this. We looked at the colors. We looked at the pillars and how it was made out of uh, wood and gold and how the silver sockets and the silver hooks held up the veil. Now... We want to look at uh, the figurine, the angels that were put on the veil. He told him, "I want to put put some angels there." So, what we want to bring in perspective is that, in addition to the various colors of cloth of which the veil was made of, we are told that their hook of uh, uh, their hooks of silver and golden threads had a design in the shape of the cherubims of which we know as angels. Why would we have angelic designs on the veil? Elohim uses angels to assist him in ministering to his people. In other words, when they take that golden thread and they intertwine it throughout the blue, The purple, the scarlet, and the white, they had figurines of angels. And those angels was placed there uh, for a purpose. And so when they placed those angels there, then what we see here is basically is that the angels were to assist in the great plan of salvation. So now we return back to the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews, uh, we look at chapter one, Hebrews chapter one. And in this particular uh, chapter, it points out about the angels. So here in Hebrews chapter one in verse seven, it says, and of the angels, he said, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. So he says that angels are ministering spirits And his ministers a flame of fire and then in 14 of the same chapter he says are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation so in the great plan of redemption we find that the cherubims that was on the veil they assist in the great plan of salvation, in helping people to understand the blue that was on the veil, which was his law, and to understand the royalty that Yeshua was the son of the father. He was a prince and he was royal. He was our king. And he was the prince of all of the kings of the world. He was royalty, that, that was that purple. And then we had the scarlet, which was his blood. And then we had the fine twine linen, which was his righteousness. So the angels assist us with his law, with his royalty. They assist us with his blood. They assist us with his righteousness. They assist us. Now the blood and the golden altar of incense. Now we turn back to, uh, we turn back to Exodus, because we understood that there were three places that he put the blood. And one was before the veil and the other we just de- dealt with was the altar of the golden altar in which we are dealing with the altar of golden altar. And we're dealing with that one now. Okay. That's the second place. Okay. And in the 30th chapter of the book of Exodus, and we look at that verse number 10, it says, and Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto Yah. So here we see he's talking about the altar of golden altar in which they atone on the four horns of it once a year. And we know that once a year was the day of atonement. So the blood and the golden altar of incense Now, this golden altar had blood put upon the horns of it once a year, which was upon the Day of Atonement. What was this golden altar of incense for? Okay, let's find out what it was for. Okay, And in order to get it to the heavenly sanctuary and look at it in its antitypical fulfillment, we want to turn to Revelation in the book of Revelation chapter 8. And we want to look at a couple of verses there, Revelations 8. So here in Revelation chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 3 and 4 to find out what is the altar of incense for. And here it says, And another angel came and stood at the altar. Okay, now mind you, this is talking about the golden altar. Having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before Elohim out of the angel's hand. So this golden altar had blood put upon the horns of it once a year. Okay. Thus, we see both the ministry of prayer and the ministry of angels in the heavenly sanctuary. As we pointed out, uh, angels assist us. They assist the Father and the Son. Yeshua, the high priest, assists with the prayers. Okay, so the incense represents prayer. Now, we know that angels assist us in the ministry uh, of prayer, and we also have a ministry of prayer. So, now, we want to turn to Luke, Luke chapter 22. And in Luke chapter 22, we want to look at a few verses there. Luke chapter 22, and we want to go to verse 41. Luke twenty-two forty-one, 41, and we want to read a few verses there. Here in verse 41, it says, and he was withdrawn from them about his stones cast, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, "Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine, be done." And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his Sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Okay, now when we look at this, what we see here is that when Yeshua was here on earth, an angel assisted him in prayer. And so Luke is documenting the fact that before he went to Gethsemane, he was praying. And as he was praying, in verse 44, it says, uh, and great drops of blood was falling To the ground. Now we notice that in our text it says that they were to anoint the horns of the golden altar only once in on the day of atonement. But it seems like it's pointing toward Yeshua, who was praying, and his blood that oozed out. And in his blood oozed out in prayer, it was like the prayer altar being anointed with blood. The blood placed on the horns of the altar is portrayed in Antitype when Yeshua was strengthened in prayer by taking hold of the horns of the symbolizing of giving the power, of getting the power he needed in prayer to get authority, power, strength, and victory over sin by praying. And when he was praying, the angels gave him assistance. And so we must recognize that when we prayed, the angels are there to give us assistance, just like He did uh, Yeshua to give us the, uh, the assistance we need in order to be able to overcome prayer. Now, the other place, the blood was sprinkled outside of the veil, and the altar was before the Ark of the Covenant. In type, this blood was sprinkled seven times before the mercy seat. So when we go back to Leviticus, In Leviticus chapter 16, and we look at a couple of verses there. Here it says in verse 14, Leviticus chapter 14, it says, Leviticus 16, uh, that is, in verses 14 and 15, Leviticus 16, and we're going to start at verse 14. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it before the mercy seat and uh, before and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So in this here, Yeshua perfect life atoned for the repentant. The sins of the repentant was put upon Yeshua, who carried our sins before the Father eventually have to have them done away with on the day of atonement, as in the antitype, in the heavenly sanctuary, the blood represents the sinful life which Yeshua took upon himself to eventually place upon Azazel to send him into the wilderness. So when he sprinkled that blood before the mercy seat, he was sprinkling the life of sinners, which he had taken on before the father. And when the father saw the record of those sins and recognized that he had atoned for the human race, then Yeshua our Messiah was in a position to take those sins and to eventually on the day of a, of atonement, put him on a scapegoat and to send him into the wilderness. Now we want to stop there. It may be some questions of observation or concerns that you may have at this time as we have dealt with the fourth phase of application of seeing how the blood was applied to the veil, how it was applied to the golden altar and how it was applied to the Ark
0: of the Covenant. Okay. One of the questions uh, I see the use of linen quite a bit. Is there, was there a particular reason for the using of linen?
1: Yes. Uh, w- one of them was, uh, well, there's a, there's a number of reasons, but I'm just going to give you a, a few of them. One was the fact that Lenin, uh, Elohim came to use it uh, to represent righteousness. Okay. He, he used it to represent righteousness. And... The whole plan of salvation is built around uh, being righteous. And this is what he was looking for in his people. This is why in, in Peter, as well as in Deuteronomy, it says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. In other words, he wanted priests to govern his people. And that's why Aaron and his sons, they were priests. And he wanted all of his people to be a priest. And this is why when Yeshua died on the cross, it gave us all the ability to become priests and priestesses. Now, uh, when you look at the sanctuary, interestingly, is that the priests on their daily service, they wore linen breeches and linen ephod, and they wore a linen mitre or a linen cap on their heads. Okay, so that linen represented righteousness. And so when they dressed in that white, they were saying just by their demeanor and by their decorum in their dress that Elohim wanted righteousness, not only on the outside, but on the inside. But when they wore it on the outside, it was a symbol of what they should have been on the inside. Now, when you look at this tabernacle that Moses built, what you would notice is that there was a sanctuary tabernacle, but around it was a court, and the court was made with a linen fence. And that linen fence, it also contained uh, the white linen. So you see the priest dressed in white linen, And we see that even in the veil that we talked about, uh, it had white linen in it. And then we see the whole court was surrounded by linen, in which Elohim was telling his people, I want my people to be righteous on the inside and on the outside. And not only that, but I want your surroundings to also be righteousness. And that was represented by the linen, which is the righteousness of Yeshua. And once we take that righteousness, the book of Revelation says that the oh, the white clean linen is the righteousness
0: of the saints. Okay. And before we go, I wanted to go over again the representations. And you were saying that gold represent divinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wood represent humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the silver represented uh support. Support. And uh, okay, we have the blue is the law. -hmm. Scarlet is the blood, Mm -hmm. and I need a refresher on the other ones. About purple,
1: okay, purple.
0: Purple, Uh
1: okay. The purple was for royalty.
0: Purple was for royalty, Mm -hmm. and then the uh, was it one of the horns? You were saying represented something
1: yeah well you had the uh you you well you had the horns and you we also had the uh the so- silver sockets and the silver hooks uh-huh. uh, yeah the, yeah well the horns if you remember one of the studies that we had in the when we were talking about the brazen altar in the court uh-huh. it had four horns and we said that the horns represents uh authority power strength and victory yeah and that was the same thing that it represented. Also on the golden altar with the four horns.
0: Okay. Okay. And uh, one last thing before we go. So basically, Yeshua is the one that will cleanse us from all our sins to make us clean before Yahuwah? Yes. Okay. okay. Now
1: that's a very, very excellent question because, see, when you deal with the blood that he took back to heaven, he took ours. He took our sinful life. So that was sinful blood. He was taken up there because mm-hmm. where was the, the righteous blood? We had that cause see blood represents life and life represents a lifestyle. So when he went back, he went back with our sinful life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And since we have taken his life of righteousness, then when he look at the books of heaven, where our names are, he looks to see that if we have taken his life, how are we living that life? And if we are living correctly, then our names can stay in the book of life. Mm-hmm. But if we are not living correctly, he says, your name is going to be taken out of the book of life and you're going to be tormented. So what we're looking at is basically is that he took the sinful life back to heaven. And eventually that sinful life, like is portrayed on the day of atonement, mm-hmm. all of the sins of the dead up until the present and all the way from the living up until Yeshua comes the second time, all of those sins are going to be laid back on a scapegoat. So when we, look at the, uh, when we look at the blood, it was the sinful blood that he took up there, and that's the blood that's going to be done away with because that's a record of sin, and sin is going to be placed and done away with.
0: Okay. Well, can you uh, take us to the throne in prayer?
1: Okay, our loving Father, we again look to you and thank you for another privilege of being able to study you out of your word and out of the sanctuary. We know that even as we pray now, that angels are taking the sweet life of Yeshua and intermingling it with the sweet incense of his life and being able to present our prayers before you. And one of the prayers that we know that you would always answer, you will never fail us. And that is when we ask for the forgiveness of sin, and for power to be able to overcome sin, for this was the total purpose of which Yeshua came to destroy the works of the devil. And as we look to you in prayer, just like the angels assisted Yeshua in prayer, they can assist us in prayer in helping us to have the authority, the power, the strength, and the victory over sin. So each one of us who cry out to you, Father, that Yeshua may give his angels to help us to be able to overcome us, and when Yeshua does come the second time, he will realize that his blood was not in vain, but there were those who have accepted thee and have walked by your principles of your covenant promises. And as a result, we can be saved at last in your eternal kingdom, is our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his
0: dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And Amen. Amen. Well, we thoroughly hope you enjoy our podcast. For this week, and we want to encourage you to return to keeping the covenant which Yahuwah has cut with us and to follow our podcast weekly. Feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com with your questions or comments. And as it states in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Until next week, take care. Shalom.